All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're just looking at one verse today. You would think that would make the sermon shorter. You can stand and uh, we'll read that. It probably won't. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for uh, your goodness to us this morning. Father, I I thank you for this passage, Lord. It it is really hard, God, for us to obey this. God, when when it happens, when people are evil to us, um, God, it it is so hard not to retaliate. And so, Lord, I I pray for strength today. I pray, Father, for just the ability to to obey. Um, Father, help us to be followers of your example in this situation. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Larry, can you turn me up just a little bit? I'm, I just feel like I'm trying, I'm struggling just to tad up. Um, the implication of chapter 5, verse 15 is that you will experience evil from others, okay? Um, this verse doesn't make sense unless that's true, and I think you know it is true, okay? Uh, so when he says, don't repay evil for evil, the implication there is somebody's going to be mean to you. Somebody's going to be cruel to you. Someone's going to dishonor you. They're going to disregard you. They're going to they're malign you. They're going to slander you. They're going to persecute you. That is the implication of verse 15, all right? That's going to happen. It's going to happen personally. It's going to happen. If you have relationships, it's eventually going to happen, guys. Like, you have to know the Bible is so resounding about this because it is so common, and you should expect that in your work, in your family, in your personal relationships, in your friendships, you're going to experience people are not good to you, okay? Uh, However, I I just want to say praise God for um, what he has gifted us as a church with um, in my lifetime and in your lifetime. Though we've seen this personally, uh, I, I know many of you could say, man, this, this person hurt me so badly from my family. This person hurt me so badly from my work. This person hurt me so badly from my, my, my neighborhood or my community or maybe even my church, okay? But, but you know what we have not experienced? We have not experienced in the American church what the people in the New Testament experienced and what, what people, people right now around the world are experiencing, Really, when you think about persecution, uh, the American church, we're still, we're still playing little league ball, and everybody else is in the majors, okay? Um, the, the New Testament, the, the, the context in which this was written, that there, were, there were horrendous things happening to the church. One, one of my favorite passages about persecution, just because I think it's so beautiful, is in Hebrews chapter 10. It's one verse, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, and it says this, You had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Can you imagine that? You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Can you imagine a situation where where your entire culture, government, police, everybody is against you, and people come in and just ransack your house? Like, they just take your stuff. They just, they drive away in your vehicle. They, 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 they take your dishes. They, whatever valuable things they have, they, they just take it and you cannot do anything about it. That is the, the context into which Paul writes, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always do good and seek, uh, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives us a little taste of his life. He says in verse 24, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and the day I was adrift on the sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from river, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentile, dangers in the city. On and on Paul goes. This is one guy's experience of living as a Christian in his community. All right? And this is the experience of many people around the world. Just our little network of, of mission folks. We're a little church in northwest Oklahoma. And when you, when you look at just our network of churches that we support around the world, just take our India partnership. Since I've been involved in India, so go back to 2014, since I've been involved there, Pastor V. Descar and 10 church members were in prison for 10 months. Why? For having a prayer meeting, okay? Pastor Sanjeevi was murdered. Uh, Pastor Mariah was murdered. Sister Evangeline was murdered. Pastor William was murdered. In that time, since 2014, 170 homes of believers were either burned or torn down. 15 churches were destroyed. And that's just in our little network. I was reading uh, Open Doors. I don't know if you've ever been to the Open Doors website, but it's got some fascinating stories about current persecution around the world. And, and here were a couple that, that grabbed my attention. One was uh, a, a young man, 14-year-old boy living in Orissa, India, which is special to us because we have, we have two orphanages in Orissa. We have an extended work in Orissa. I've, I've snuck in there before, snuck out uh, into that state. But, but this was Samara Madkami. And in June, on June 4th, last, so this month, June 4th, he's a 14-year-old boy. He became a Christian. He started sharing his faith with other teenagers in his village. He was drugged out of his home by a mob of men, stoned to death, uh, and buried. Uh, that was this month in Orissa, India. One story in Nigeria that captured my attention, honestly, because of the names of the children. Uh, the, the, the names of the children are so beautiful. Uh, but this, I don't know if you've read anything about Nigeria, but Nigeria is under horrific persecution by Islamic militants for the last year or so. Um, 20, I think 27 believers have died in the last couple months, uh, been murdered in, in Nigeria alone. But listen to this story. The attack came just two days after May 11th. Uh, the massacre in Gonanroga village in the same local government that left 18 people dead. Around 11.30 p.m., the attackers first struck the home of Jonathan Yakubu, age 40, killing him, his wife Sheba, age 32, and their three children. Listen to the children's names. Patience, who is 13, Revelation, who is 6, and Rejoice, who is 4. Now, you know that family was strong believers, don't you? When, you when, you're, when you're living in an Islamic community and you name your three kids Patience, Revelation, and Rejoice, you know those folks were serious about Jesus. From there, the attackers moved to another home where they killed Kana Ma Magajai and her daughter Faith before shooting and killing newly married Sorania Lucky, age 25, in a nearby compound while she held her newborn in her arms. Although the bullet struck the baby's head, the child survived and was taken to a nearby hospital. It is then that context that Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. My friends, evil is being done in incomprehensible ways around our world. Now, I actually believe it is creeping in closer and closer to the United States of America. As I look at the events of the last year, I can't help but believe that there is coming a time quickly where if you're a university professor, if you're a government worker, my daughter's even told me some stories about Washington, D.C. and employment there and what, what you're being asked to do. I think it's going to be more and more difficult to become an evangelical believer, which makes this passage even more 
pertinent to us, okay? Whether that comes or whether it doesn't come, we as believers are going to experience hard things from other people, evil actions, mistreatment. It's going to happen. It's going to happen from your family, your spouse, your in-laws, your neighbors, your coworkers. And you need to know, what does this verse really mean for me? What does it mean to not repay evil for evil, but always seek to do good? I, I want to ask you this. Do you remember the day that you learned revenge? Do you remember do you remember the day that you learned to retaliate? You know, like, like we've all got firsts in our life, right? There was a day when you uttered your first word, right? There was a day when you had took your first steps. Maybe your mom and dad got pictures of it. I don't know. There was a day where you learned to, to ride a bike, right? Uh, there was a day you learned to drive a car, right? You had all those firsts. Do you remember the day that you learned revenge? You know, were, what, were you in third grade, Miss Kleppinger's class, and uh, she said, open your books to vengeance, my, my, my students, you know. Let's learn how to pay people back. You know, like, oh, this is how it's done. You know what? I bet you don't remember that. You know why I bet you don't remember that? Because revenge is hardwired into you, is it not? You, you, you were born into this world because of your sinful flesh knowing how to give it back, weren't you, right? In fact, I bet your mom and dad could tell stories about when you were six months old, you know, and they gave you that first taste of ice cream, and you were like, this is heaven, right? And you're like, give me that thing, right? And then they start, you know, pulling your hands away. No, 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 no. let me give it to you. And you're like, ah, bam, right? Have you seen little kids do that? You know, it's like fury, you know? You're just glad they're not very strong, right? But it's hard. Why? In other words, what I'm telling you is it is deeply ingrained inside of you to pay back when you feel you've been wronged, when you feel you've been hurt. But Paul is saying, don't repay evil for evil. In fact, he actually says something a little different. Look at verse 15 again. He says, see to it that no one repays evil for evil. Now, that's really important because not only is it saying, don't be evil. Don't, don't, I'm sorry. Not only is it saying, don't repay evil for evil. It's saying, you got to help everybody else not do this. All right? Do you, do you remember last week? Anybody? Probably not, right? Uh, I hope you do. But, but last week we talked about the verses right before this. And if you remember, they're all verses about how we help one another follow Jesus. Do you remember that? Started out in verse four, uh, verse 11 when it said, you know, encourage one another, be building up one another. And then in verse 12 it says, you know, respect those who labor among you. And then in verse 13 it says, esteem their work very high. And then in verse 14 it says, hey, here's how you do it, guys. You, you need to be in small groups. You need to be in discipleship groups. You need to be in Christ's relationships. And you're going to admonish the idle. You're going you're gonna to encourage the faint-hearted. You're going to help the weak. You're going to be patient with them all, right? That's what that passage said, right? And then the next verse says, see to it that no one repay evil for evil. In other words, when, you, when you're helping your small group follow Jesus, you know what that means? That means, that means you help them not repay evil for evil. When you're helping your family, dads, when you're discipling your kids, when you're teaching your kids what does it mean to follow Jesus, you know what part of that is? Part of that is that you teach them how to not repay evil for evil. You teach them how to do good to somebody who has just hurt them. So, so this, this passage occurs in a discipleship relationship, in a discipleship element. It's what it means to follow Jesus, and it's what it means to help people, to help other people 
follow Jesus. You know, in, in the Bible, there, there simply isn't just, there just isn't any place for personal vengeance. I, I know we, we're a loophole finding people, aren't we, right? And, and, and I, I know that some of you are already trying to think of loopholes, right? You're saying, well, what about war? And what about police? And what about judges? And what about, what about, uh, what about, what about this? What about that, right? What about an intruder breaking into my home, you know? Are, are you saying that they shoot my wife? And I'm like, here, shoot my daughter too, you know? Is that, is that, okay, first of all, let's not be silly, okay? Is that what this passage is talking about? It's not what this passage is talking about. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews in Romans 13 that the, the government does not bear the sword in vain. In other words, the, there are institutions, there are places, there's self-defense, all of that. This is not talking about that. This is talking about your own personal vengeance, right? You know what we're really good at in the Scriptures? We're really good at taking something hard, finding a loophole so we can discount it, right? Now, the, you know what the interesting thing about the loopholes are? They hardly ever happen, Right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about somebody insulted you. That really happens. We're talking about somebody maligned you, somebody cheated you, somebody mistreated you, someone disrespected you. That, that's what we're talking about here. And there just isn't any place in the Scriptures for revenge. That you would repay. That you would say, well, you did that to me, I'm doing this to you. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You know, one of the interesting passages in the Bible about this is in Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. It's super interesting to me because it's, it's somewhat unique. It's Jesus on the night before his crucifixion, and uh, there's a sword fight. I always like passages with sword fights. I don't know about you guys, but it's in Matthew chapter 26, and it's from verse 51. Let me read it to you. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, right? So the mob has come to take Jesus out of the garden, and says, Behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. We know that this is Peter from another gospel who did this. Then Jesus said to him, he says two things here. Number one, put away your sword, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And then he says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send, them, send me more than 12 legions of angels. Now this is an interesting passage to me because, first of all, Peter is defending an innocent man. Like, I don't know that there's actually another, another situation in all the world as clear as this, right? Like, like, whoever you're defending, they're never truly innocent, right? I mean, there's not, there's not a person in here that's actually truly innocent in the, in the way that Jesus was truly innocent, right? I mean, Jesus is completely innocent. Peter is defending Jesus, right? So he, he pulls out his sword. The mob comes. They're going to take Jesus. He pulls out his sword. Man, I... How do you, how, that's, a, that's a brave guy, you know? I mean, I'm just thinking about this. Man, I don't know how many sword fights he'd been in his life. I can't imagine very many, but man, he pulls the thing out. You got you to gotta think he's going for the guy's head. I, I can't imagine that he zoroed him and just cut off his ear. You know, he had to be like, he's trying to kill this guy. He's trying to defend Jesus, all right? And Jesus stops him, heals the guy, and tells him two things. First thing he says is, all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Now, here, here's what I think Jesus is teaching us from that. Retaliation hardly ever ends a matter. Have you, have you experienced that? How many of you have had someone say something tacky, mean, uncalled for on Facebook? They posted it, and so you got on there, and you're like, well, you know? And you got on there, I guess, right? And you said something mean and tacky back. And that person responded and said, oh, my goodness, thank you for correcting me of my wrong. You know, glory to God. Awesome. Praise to Jesus. Let's make this right. I'm going to meet you with a gift at your door. Be ready. 
I, it could happen. Like, like I, I, I am, I, that could happen, particularly if that person is obeying this passage. But you know, my experience is you just, you just spread the evil, right? Like, like retaliation doesn't end the matter. It just escalates the matter. It just spreads the matter. It just, it, it, it's like poison. It's like COVID-19. It just, it just gets everywhere. Number two, so Jesus said, first of all, he told Peter, all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Second of all, he said, don't you think that I could have appealed to my father to send 12 legions of angels? Second thing he says is, Peter, don't you believe that I can take care of this? May saying that to you guys. When you've been hurt, when you've been wounded, when you've been harmed, man, that's, that's what Jesus is saying. Don't, don't you think, Jason, that I, I can take care of this? Jesus says, I, I could have called 12,000 angels and they would have been here in a millisecond. Each one of them, according to the Old Testament, capable of slaying around 200,000 men in a night. Okay, and he's going to call 12,000 of them to handle this little mob, this little rinky-dink mob that's there to arrest Jesus. In other words, what Jesus is saying, Peter, don't you have confidence that I can handle this? And I think he's telling us the same thing. Man, Jesus is our ultimate example in these situations. Okay, when you're, when you're looking for somebody who's done this, all right, Jesus did not repay evil for evil. He was constantly threatened, lied about, maligned, slandered, beaten, crucified, and he never repaid evil in return. In fact, he did exactly what Paul is calling you to do here in verse 15. He sought to do good. In fact, that's an understatement. Jesus actually did the best thing that could be possibly done for you. Right? So here's, here's the way the gospel goes. You struck out at God in evil. God retaliates by doing the absolute best thing that could ever be done for you. Wow. Now, when you're seeking to do good, it says a couple things really loudly. First of all, it says, you have not let the evil done to you make you evil. All right, here, go to Romans 12. So, so there's, there's at least three passages in the New Testament that say this exact same thing, okay? This whole don't repay evil for evil, there are three large sections in the New Testament that teach this. One of these, one of them's Romans 12, one of them's 1 Peter 3, one of them's 1 Thessalonians 5, okay? So I want you to go to Romans 12. So in the Romans 12 passage, we're going to refer to it over and over again, so I'm just going to read it, okay? So I'm going to start reading in verse um, 17. Repay no one evil for evil. See exactly what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5. But give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want you to focus on that last verse. Do not, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, now, now what that tells me is the danger for Jason Dirks, whenever someone is cruel to me, I'll just give you my own personal example, my own personal experience. The danger for me is I, I allow the evil done to me 
to make me evil. <laughs> like, like, like I, I allow it to spread inside of me, all right, to create more I- evil in me. I've always wondered if in heaven there's an evil meter. Do you think maybe like an evil mometer? I, I don't know how you would measure evil, but I wonder if there's a way to do it. You know, and if there is a way to do it, let's say there's this big evil mometer in heaven, right? And it's got this gauge, okay? And it's like, it's, like, it's like testing the evil in our world, right? So it's like pegged out right over here. Okay, now here's what happens. So, so someone is evil to Jason, you know, and that, that needle pops up, right? There's more evil in the world right now because someone was just evil to me. Now, if I take what was done to me and, and, and I respond by sinning, Okay, if I respond by sinning, if I respond by letting my heart get bitter and angry and unforgiving and, and I lash out at my words and my actions, what just happened to the needle? It just went up. It just went more. Like the evil done to me now, now has overcome me. It's defeated me and it's multiplied. And now there's, now there's more evil. You see, a lot of times what we want to do is we want to justify our own sin because of the sin done to us. Like, I, I, again, I get it. We are hardwired that way. Like, like you did something terrible to me, and, and I, I feel completely justified in lashing back. Like, it feels right. Why? Because, first of all, we have this justice in us, right, that it's not all bad. Like, like, like actually, we're creating the image of God. We want justice. And, and, and so inflicting a little justice, man, it, it, it feels right. But the problem with inflicting justice is normally we sin when we do it. And, and then we dishonor God. And then we're actually rebelling against God. And, 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 and sin always brings misery. Isn't that a universal principle? Sin always brings misery. So your sin will bring misery in your life. And so if, if you sin against me, well, man, that hurt me. That brought misery. And then if I respond by singing against you, that just magnifies my, minis- my misery. It, it just makes me more miserable. But when you respond to evil with good, what are you doing? You're conquering the evil, right? So there's that meter. Someone's evil to you, bam. And then you respond with good. Whew. And you're, 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 you're like conquering the evil. You know, a lot of times... When someone's been hurt and a pastor like me says, hey, man, be like Jesus. You can do it. Respond with kindness. A lot of times that's interpreted as, what? You think that person deserves kindness? No, I don't think they do. But, but I think you deserve blessing. Does that make sense? Do it for your sake. In other words, I'm not, don't, don't do it for their sake. I'm not saying that. I'm saying do it for your sake. For your own sake. Remember when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, someone slaps you on the cheek, turned in the other also. Again, what are the loophole finders going to say? Well, that means somebody takes a bat and beats me. You know, No, it's a slap, right? It's a slap. Nobody ever tried to kill anybody with a slap, right? A slap is a... In, However, have you seen that professional slapping deal? Anybody seen that on YouTube? That may be an exception. I don't think that's really a slap, though. That's something else. My goodness, those guys are tough, you know, or stupid, one or the other. I don't know. But, man, it's, it's something else. But no, this, this is like, a, it's like an insult, you know. Think of the French, you know. You know, that's, that's one of those deals, right? When you, you do that, somebody, you take out your glove and, pa-pa, 
You know, you're, you're not trying to kill them. You're, you're insulting them, right? And Jesus said, when someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other. Why would you do that? Three reasons. Number one, for the glory of Jesus. You are displaying something incredibly powerful when you do that. Remember that Hebrews passage I, I, uh, I read to you at the beginning? Hebrews 10, 34. Listen to it again. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. What, what, what did them joyfully accepting the plundering of the property, what, what, did that, what did that say? What did that mean? What did that display? You know what it said very loudly? I got something better. You, you cannot take from me. I cannot lose because of what I gain in Christ. We can lose because of what we gain in Christ. Number one, for the glory of God. Number two, why should you turn the other cheek? So that sin does not bring more consequences into your own life. Number three, why should you turn the other cheek? Well, hopefully you're going you're gonna to gospel the people who are evil to you. That, that Romans passage is interesting, the Romans 12 passage, because listen, listen to this interesting verse. He says in uh, verse 20, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Heap burning coals on his head. I know when someone's evil to you, what you'd really like to do is scoop up some hot coals and put, dump it on their head, right? You're like, my favorite verse, okay? It's not literal, okay? It's not saying you dump fire on people's heads, okay? But what, what is it saying? Well, it, it's saying a couple things. It's saying, number one, you bring conviction upon their life. And number two, if they do not respond to that conviction, you bring more judgment. Okay? Conviction and judgment. Second, I think doing good to those who harm you clearly says you trust God to do what he said he would do. In that, in that Romans 12 passage, it says, vengeance is whose? God says, it's mine. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And, and here's the big question. Do you trust him? Like when he says, I'm, I'm going to handle this. Sometimes when people say that to you, to you, you don't trust them, do you? <laughs> right? Like, like sometimes you're in a project and, and somebody says, well, hey, I'll take care of that. And then you're like texting them, hey, did you, did you take care of that? Like, did you, like you're, you forget a lot, right? Like, sometimes you don't do it. Are, are you doing it? Okay, is that what you're doing to God? Are you you're like, God, are you, are you really going to do this? Are you really going to take care of this? Are you really going to bring justice? Let me assure you, God will not fail in this, okay? He cannot fail. Justice will come in one of two ways. In the fires of hell or in the blood of the cross. It will come in one of those two ways. It can only end in one of those two ways. Someone, someone hurts you. Someone mistreats you. Someone is evil to you. Okay, and there's two options there. Either, either they will not repent and they will perish and God will bring about his justice for all eternity in the fires of hell. And believe me, my friends, it will be completely sufficient. Okay, there will be no believer up in heaven after a million years who, who looks down into hell and says, well, that wasn't good enough. God, I guarantee you that will not happen. 
So it will either happen in hell or, or that person will believe the gospel and they will repent. And they will, they will turn away from their sin and, and they, will be con, they will be contrite. They, they, will be, they will be cut to the heart over what they've done and they will turn in faith to Jesus and their sin will be paid for. The sin against you will be paid for on the cross. Now please don't ever say that's not good enough. Okay, don't, don't ever say that. Sometimes believers act that way. They're like, well, it's, it's not good enough. No, if, if, if your sin put on the cross, if that was good enough for God, then it ought to be good enough for you. God is satisfied with Jesus paying for the sins of humanity. So if they do not repent, your kindness to them, it only increases their guilt on judgment day. It either, it either helps them come to Christ or on judgment day, burning coals. Like it increases their, their amount of judgment. Romans 2 actually says that about, about everybody in, in relation to God. Like if you don't repent, then you're just storing up wrath for the day of wrath. Okay? Friends, you should want your enemies to repent. There's this verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 24, 17, and 18. It says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn his anger from them. Man, you, you should not want to take this in your own hands. That's, that's what, it, that's what that, ver, that proverb is saying. Is that when you think about your enemies and, and things go badly for them, you, you shouldn't rejoice over that. You know why? God may look down and be like, man, your heart is not right. I'm going to bless those folks. Like, like, you need to leave this in God's hands. You need to trust him completely to take care of this. You should want them to come to Christ. Now, let's look at the rest of this verse, okay? So, verse 15 again. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. But look at the next part. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. That word seek is, is a marvelous word there. Literally, it means to move rapidly and decisively toward an objective. In other words, th- this is not like, well, okay, I, I'm not going to repay him evil for evil, and if someday I'm out on the highway and there's a terrible blizzard and they're stuck in the ditch with their flashers on and they're waving, you know, to, for help, and, well, okay, I'll... I'll, I'm going to drive by them, but I'll probably call the police or something to help them, right? That's not what we're talking about. Seek to move rapidly and decisively toward an objective means you should be intentional in your desire to want to be good to them. Man, that's really hard. I, I'm just admitting it. That is, that is impossible. Fair? Impossible? Because Jesus asks us to do impossible things. He does that all the time. He asks us to do an impossible thing, and then he gives the power to do it. So I, I, I just want to probably put that on the board as an impossible thing. Right? Most, of the time, most of the time, what we can do on our own strength is just simply not retaliate. But we still got problem problems with them in our heart, right? And we, at best, we want to be indifferent to them. You know what indifferent is? Indifferent is a, a type of hatred, Right? It's like I'm not going to acknowledge you. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. I'm not. I'm going to act as if you do not exist. A lot of times, that's the way we punish people, isn't it? I have a famous story in my own life where 
I, I, I sincerely did not mean to offend this person, but I did. And it was a situation that I, I felt I did the right thing. Um, they did not. And they were furious at me. And I was actually at a speaking deal. <laughs> it, was a, it was a church event. It wasn't at church, but it was a church event. And a uh, bunch of people were there watching. And, and I, I tried to do this passage. I, I sought to do good. I saw them. I approached them. I said, hello. I stuck out my hand to shake their hand. And, and they, they, they did the indifferent thing. They didn't curse me. They didn't revile me. They just acted as if I did not exist. I stood there with my hand out for just a little bit, kind of stared at me for a while, and then slowly turned and walked away. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it's really awkward. Your hand even starts to tingle. Like, if it's possible for your hand to be embarrassed, it, it, can, it can happen. Like, like it, you know, and it's like defiled. Like, you don't know what to do with it. You can't do anything. It's just sitting there, right there, you know. It's awkward to pull it back because everybody will see that, but it's awkward to leave it out there. And so you're just kind of frozen in time with it out there. And pretty soon you, you just got to do something. So you kind of reach and, and put it back, and then it just feels ashamed all night, you know. It's like it's defiled, you know. That, a lot of times that's the way we punish people, isn't it? We're, we're just, hey, I'm just gonna. I'm just going to be indifferent to you. Like, you don't exist in my world. I've seen that in marriage. Is that not strange? That in, in, in a place where two people are living in the same house, they'll try to punish each other by just pretending you don't exist. I'm just not going to talk to you. I'm going to be cold. I'm going to be just going to act like you ain't there, right? That is, that is not what First Thessalonians 5 says. First Thessalonians 5 says, see that you repay that, you, that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek, seek. So this is an intentional action. Seek to do good. Okay, what, what does that look like? What does it look like to seek to do good to one another, believers, family, spouse, kids, church, small group? Seek to do good to, to, to one another and to everyone. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, let me take you to 1 Peter 3. So this is this other passage I told you. That, that teaches the same truth, okay? First Peter 3, and uh, we'll start reading in verse 9, okay? Exact same phrase. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. All right, now, this is beautiful because it gives us kind of a, an example, all right? So it says instead of, instead of paying them back, you know what you do? You bless. Bless is a verbal word, right? In this context, it absolutely is. It's, it's a verbal word. It, it basically means you offer words that intend to do good in the person they're spoken to. So, so when someone treats you badly, when someone reviles you, when someone slights you, when someone disrespects you, when your spouse offers that harsh word that stings and cuts like a knife, what do you do? Well, you don't repay him evil, and then you... Bless. Your words that come out of your mouth are words that are intended to do good in the person they're spoken to. And this could be prayer. This could be scripture. This could be encouragement. This could be truth. Like a lot of times people think, well, me not, me not repaying evil for evil means I don't speak truth. No, I think you do speak truth. I think truth spoken in love is a beautiful way to bless somebody. But, but here's the reality. You you seek to bless them. Your motive is to bless them. Notice what you don't do with your words, all right? Let's keep reading in this passage. So I'm in verse uh, 10 right now. 
So it says, verse 9 says, On the contrary, bless, for this you recall that you may obtain a blessing. Verse 10, whoever desires to love life, that would be me, see good days. Yep, I'll take that one too. Notice what it says about your mouth. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Man, do you see that? If you want to love life, if you want to see good days, and you know what? You, you need to keep your tongue from gossip, slander, from uh, reviling, cursing, from trying to punish the person by running them down, trying to rally the troops and let them know how bad they are. You need to keep, if you want to love life, don't do that. Why? Verse 9, because you were called to obtain a blessing. Because you want to see good days. Really, the real verse, verse 12, the real reason, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord will be against those who do evil. You want God to answer your prayers? I sure do. You want God to take care of you? Man, he can do so much better of a job than you can do. I know you want to take care of yourself. You want to take your own vengeance. You want to meet it out with your own words and your own hands. But let me just tell you, God can do so much better. So what does it look like to seek to do good, to one another and to everyone? Well, first of all, it means to verbally bless. Second of all, it means that our actions should be those that seek to, to meet needs and to, and to do good. Look at, look at Romans 12 again. So jump back over there. Here's what Paul says in Romans 12 you should do for your enemy. He says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do you remember that story in the Old Testament where... Uh, uh, Elijah is surrounded by the Syrian army, and uh, his servant is freaking out, thinks they're, gonna, they're all going to die. They're going to die. You know, it's hopeless. And Elijah prays and says, God, open, open his eyes, and he sees the angelic army all around, right? You guys remember that story? You remember how, what happens next? He prays, and God blinds the Syrian army. And then Elijah walks out to the Syrian army, and he says, hey, I know where these guys, I know where the guys are you're looking for. Come on, follow me. <laughs> and he leads them right into Israel, right? Right into, 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 into the king, to the king and his army. So he leads them right into the Israelite army. They're surrounded by the Israelite army. And then he opens their eyes. And you know what the Israelite king says? Can I kill him? Can I kill him? I mean, he's excited. Like, like this is a good day. God has brought his enemy right into the middle of his troops. They are without escape. And Elijah says, no, feed him. Feed him. And so he feeds him. You know what the next phrase says? The Syrians never made raids into Israel again. Isn't that interesting? It's a pretty, pretty cool story, isn't it? God can give you so much more than anyone can take from you. I, I know what you guys are thinking. I think I do. I, I think many of you are saying, this is impossible. Can anybody except Jesus actually do this? Right? Because when you're hurt, when somebody hurts you, man, it is really hard to be kind. But do not disregard the power of the Holy Spirit to do impossible things in you. One of the most moving stories of the last of my lifetime has been Graham Staines. Um, 
I, I think I like this so much because it happened in Orissa, India. Uh, it's one of the places where we have a couple orphanages. Uh, David and I uh, got in there in 2018, I believe it was, and made it out, got to see the work. Um, it's still a terrible place for Christians. But in 1999, Graham Staines had been there 34 years with his two sons and his daughter and his wife as a medical missionary to a leper colony. He'd been ministering to the Indian people. He and his two sons were uh, in, in town, and they just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Some radical Hindus, uh, something had happened, and they were on a violence warpath. And they surrounded his car, and they blocked him in. And then they burned his car and burned he and his two sons alive. It was terrible. It was on all the national news at that point. Things were not, this is funny to say, but things were actually not as bad in India then as they are now. Um, So it made all the national news. And his widow, Gladys, said this. And it made it into most all the major newspapers of the world. She said this. I have only one message for the people of India. I'm not bitter, neither am I angry. But I have one great desire, that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who gave his life for their sins. Let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. And how about Esther? I think she was like 13 at that time. She wasn't with her dad or her brothers when it happened. She's with her mother. When she was asked about how she felt about the murder of her dad and brothers, she said this, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. Now, I have no explanation for that except the power of the Holy Spirit. So I I know what the scripture is asking of you today is impossible for you, right? You're hardwired for revenge. Whenever someone hurts you, and it's, it's almost coming out of your mouth before you can stop it, isn't it? But here's what I know. I, I believe if we'll help each other, remember how this started? See to it that no one among you repays, right? Uh, we gotta help each other with this. I believe that with the community of saints, with the encouragement of other believers, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can become these people. We can, be, we can become like Jesus. We, we can be free of this cycle of misery of hurting and vengeance and repayment. So let's ask God to do that, okay? Let's pray together. Father, I, I just ask you, God, for help right now in this moment. God, I, I pray, Father, that you would help Husbands, God, to not repay wives evil for evil, but to seek, to pursue, to do good to them. God, I pray for wives, God, that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, enable them today not to repay evil for evil, but to seek to do good, to bless. God, I pray for um, neighbors and for co-workers and for Extended family, moms and dads, children, aunts and uncles, cousins. God, I pray that you would enable those believers, God, to not repay evil for evil, but to seek, to pursue right now to be intentional about leaving this place and and seeking to do good. 
to each other, and to everyone. Father, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to obey a really hard thing. Jesus, you're worth it. Jesus, we trust that you'll take care of us. In Christ's name, amen.